we're going to talk about kids. Uh, children bring so much joy into our life. And I asked my granddaughter, Eleni, if I could tell you this story. And she said I could. So when Eleni was right, I think three years old, uh, we were at the Salted Pig in Riverside. And she had just been potty trained. So she was all excited to be able to do that, you know. And so she's like, Papa, will you take me to the bathroom? And I said, sure, girl, I'll do that. So we go together into the men's bathroom. I check the stall and and send her in. And I'm standing there waiting. And then I hear this little voice going, hello. And I hear this man scream. She had crawled under the stall. Could you imagine you're sitting, sitting there and a little head pops up and then she stood up in there with them. And I'm like, Elodie, get out here quick. And uh, I waited for the guy. I said, I'm so sorry. And he's laughing. He's going, okay, I have grandkids too, but I've never experienced that before. Um, but yeah, children bring so much joy into our life. And yet we're living in a time where children are facing a world that I would say is unprecedented and the fear it creates and as scary as it is. Would you guys agree with that? Matter of fact, I can tell you this for me. I never got up in the morning on a school day and was afraid I'd get shot. Anybody else? How many of you guys would say that's true for you? You weren't afraid at all that way. Um, and you know what? Today we're watching that happen. And, and there's so much fear. There's so much anxiety out there for children. I, I read a study that said this. It said this. It showed that there is an, uh, when there's an active shooter training and drill in schools, depression in children increases 39%. And yet we have to have active shooter training. Matter of fact, I'm going to dare to say every child you know this year will go through that. And it creates greater anxiety. Uh, Not only that, our children are experiencing an assault on their identity. We've never been in a world where where we've done everything we could to wreck the identity of a child and a young adult. And yet our world does that. The culture does that. Our, our, Our intellectual people, supposedly, are doing that. And so what happens is we need to find ways to help our children Parenting always matters, but it matters more than ever. But by the way, for all of you who are not parents or your parent, your children are out of, out of the house, let me say this. We need to be a church that is a safe place for kids to come to and one that helps them find their identity to really find out who they are. So it's a vital time that we're a part of that. So I want to ask everybody to tune into what we're going to talk about right now, uh, whether it directly applies or one day could apply or maybe it indirectly applies, but God's truth matters. And here's where the Bible begins. The children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. So in Psalm 127, it says, behold, Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like, and notice this term right here, like arrows, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hands of warrior, children of one's youth. And then I love this, how blessed it is, and I want to key in on this word, the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, I think that's so cool that the Bible says children are truly a gift from God. And how blessed is the man who has a quiver full. Now, why I think that's so interesting is because a quiver held about 23 arrows. 
So I think it's interesting. The Bible says how blessed is the man who has 23 children. It doesn't say how blessed is the woman <laughs> who had to give birth. <laughs> okay, I, I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, but, but the point is this. They are a gift from God. They are a reward from God. And God's great desires that you and I would love that. I know when I held my oldest son, Rich in my arms, I could not wait to be able to have that moment that day. But I wasn't ready for how much love I would feel. I wasn't ready. I felt like my heart was going to burst. I felt like everything inside me could never feel something like that again when I looked at that little guy. And then when I had our son Tim, it went to a whole new level. And then when we got our five grandchildren, it even went more. Uh, and you know what? I feel like that God in those moments says, see what it's like to love. See what it's like to care. And God wants us to know that the children are a gift from God. Uh, then most of you know about a verse in Proverbs chapter 22 that says this, train up a child in the way he should go. And notice this, the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, it's interesting that that word uh, to, to, to the way, the way, is a Hebrew word that means way, path, journey, the right way. But the root of this word, Derek, is to bend the bow, to bend the bow. So it's interesting that in both places, it says that children uh, are like arrows. They're like a, an arrow, but what does an arrow need to be doing? It needs to be put in a bow and aimed, Right? Uh, the other day, I took my grandkids to shoot archery, and Tatum, my youngest granddaughter, took her bow, reared it back, and turned and aimed at Tim and I. And we were like, whoa, Tatum. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, hey, honey, you don't do that. You know what, parents, you got to aim your children in the right direction. And God said, I want you to do that. I want you to take the time to bend the bow, to aim them in the right direction so they'll go in the way that I created them to go. Now, what God is saying is this. Every single child has its own direction it needs to go in. And every parent needs to aim the child in the way he should or she should go. In other words, it's very individualized. It's very unique. And yet children are very complex. I think everybody here who has children would agree. You look at them and think, where did that personality come from? Right? Because every child is different. You didn't do it. Now, how many of you have a, you know, a, a child and you looked and said, I, I didn't have any idea this is how they would be. You know? And some of you are scared. But you know what? God says, I created them that way. I wanted them to be that way. I wanted them to, to have their unique place in life. And so God created children very individually, and he gave them each their own personality, their own gifts, later their own spiritual gift. And you and I, when we're wise, we begin to look for that. So to help them find their direction, that's what you need to do to help them find their direction. Number one, you need to know their God-given personality. Are they an introvert or an extrovert? And by the way, celebrate whichever one they are. It's not good or bad. Uh, sometimes we act like all the extroverts are good and all the introverts, well, there's something wrong with you. But that's not true, right? This may surprise you, but I believe Jesus was an introvert. Uh, you may not agree, but I'd love for you to delve into that. 
But I believe with all my heart that God created people to be who we want them to be. And one of the things I love doing is helping people discover the personality God gave them and help them flourish in that. It's not, actually, let me say this. It's all good. It's all good, whoever God created you to be. And I think you ought to to do what King David did. You ought to say, God, fearfully and wonderfully am I made. You know, maybe after church today, go stand in the bathroom, look in the mirror and say, whoa, good job, God. And he did a good job on every child, on every child. And we need to help them discover their God-given personality. We need to celebrate their talents. Every child has different talents and, and the goal is to discover which ones they have and which ones are them and celebrate that. And then, by the way, a talent needs to be grown in. You need to invest time and invest energy uh, so they can get better and better at the talent they have. And then we also uh, talk about the idea that God in the end is also giving them spiritual gifts. When they become a Christian, I think one of the first things you ought to do when your child, the minute they give their life to the Lord, is say, hey, let's discover the spiritual gift that God just gave you. And, and I want you to get great at using that. And then after that, we also want to know their heart's desire. What is their heart's desire? Uh, Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, I, I really believe that verse means two things equally. One is that God gives you the desires of your heart. In other words, God puts inside you those heart's desires. God plants them within you. Uh, I'll never forget, I was a a, a young uh, pastor in training going to Crossroads Christian Church. And I remember sitting on Rancho and Maine in the building and watching my hero, Tim Coop, preach. And I remember one day I walked out and I looked at Pam and I said, man, I'd love to be the senior pastor of Crossroads one day. Guess what? That happened. I know some of you are going to, yeah. You know, and, and you know what? It took years to get here. But thanks, you guys. Thank you. And, and you know what? I, God gave me that heart's desire, I believe. I really do believe that. And you know what? God's given you a heart's desire. God's given your children a heart's desire. And you want to help them discover that. And then I think there's a second thing this verse means. God actually fulfills that heart's desire. So not only does he put heart's desire within you, he'll help fulfill it. And so, by the way, I hope every one of you are saying, Lord, here's my heart's desire. Here's my heart's desire. Because God will actually give it to you. Uh, One of my heart's desire was to go to Israel. One was to go to Alaska. My wife, Pam, has a heart's desire to go to France. So I'm going along. But... uh, But here's the point. What is your child's heart's desire? What is that thing they're hoping for, wanting, desiring in their heart? And and as you begin to to aim them, it's based on their personality. It's based on their talents. It's based on the spiritual gift. And it's based on their heart's desire. And I'm not saying that quickly. I think you ought to look at all four of those for your children and say, what is it I can do to be a part of helping them understand who they are and the direction that God wants them to go. And so you and I need to do that. Uh, My oldest son, Rich, at a very young age, decided he wanted to speak German. I have no idea where that came from. 
But by the time he was an older high school student, we had encouraged him and, and cheered him on. He actually was pretty close to fluent in German. Matter of fact, it cracks me up. There's videos out there where he and his friends would go to parties at Glendora High and speak nothing but German and freak people out. <laughs> okay, nobody, it's funny. I asked him one time to do love poems in German. They don't sound good. And then my youngest son, Rich, or Tim, was an athlete. Rich was very academic, and we cheered him on and watched him in academic decathlons and could not have been more proud. And then our youngest son, Tim, was an incredible basketball player and athlete, and we went and cheered him on and could not have been more proud. And I never wanted Tim to be Rich or Rich to be Tim. I wanted him to be who God wanted him to be. That's our greatest desire. I look at my grandchildren the same way. But let me say this as a pastor of this church. I look at every single child I see here the same way. How do we help them celebrate what God has for them and the direction that God wants them to go? And so that's the thing you and I need to do. So you want to know their personality. You want to know their talents. You want to know their spiritual gift. And then you also want to know uh, their heart's desire. And, and, and we need to be a part of celebrating that. And we need to also be careful about something. Colossians chapter 321 I think it's interesting that it uses this term, fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Fathers. Well, I, the reason I think that's interesting is uh, maybe because not only do mothers need to be careful of that, but maybe dads more than ever need to be aware of the incredible influence you can have and also how frustrating you can be. Uh, but what he's saying is don't frustrate your children. Don't, don't exasperate your children. And we do that, we frustrate and exasperate them when we try to make them something they're not. See, if we're going against who God created them to be, there's almost nothing more frustrating than that. And one of the worst messages a parent can send their child is this. You are not acceptable being the person who you are are and the things that you love in other words you've got to change who you are before I'm ever going to love you or like you that hurts and by the way it's in the end not doable you can only do that for so long so a child who's not an athlete shouldn't be made to be an athlete let them be more artistic let them be more studious but the one who has this great desire to excel maybe in more athletics cheer them on in that so what you and I need to do is study our children and aim them in that direction. And, and to do that, one of the things you and I have to do is listen to them. You have to watch them and listen to them very, 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 very intently. Uh, I was intrigued when I started studying counseling some, in something. While we know that all children need to be listened to, which by the way means you need to look at them and you need to sit and tune in to them and allow them to speak. Which by the way, all the parents are going, that, that's hard because they don't stop. You know what? Enjoy it because the day's going to come, you'll miss it. But I want to say one of my things I, I learned in counseling I was very intrigued by is while all children need that, little girls especially need it from their fathers. Did you know that? Little girls especially need a dad who will look at them and watch them and listen to them. 
That's why all children will do it, but especially little girls will run into the room and just start talking. And you know what they want you to do is stop what you're doing and listening. And when you do that, do you know what you're saying to them? You matter and you're important and you're special to me as your dad. Yeah, and we need to do that for our kids. By the way, another way to really tune into your kids and listen to them and study them and discover who they are is have this thing called family dinners. Like to eat regularly as a family, especially at night. I read a study recently that said only 30% of families regularly eat dinner together. Only 30%. And if you have children, listen to this next statistic. 62% of parents whose children have left home regret they didn't have regular family meals together. Do you know what? I can tell you this today. If you've got children in your house, I am going to give you a message right now that will guard you from having great, uh, great regret later in life. Eat dinner together. Eat dinner together. And you might say, Chuck, is it really that big a deal? Well, the National Center of Addiction and Substance Abuse found this. Children of families who regularly eat together are less likely to be overweight, more likely to eat healthy food. They perform better academically. They're less likely to engage in risky behaviors such as drugs, alcohol, sexual activity, and they have better relationships with their parents. Uh, It does matter. It does matter. And you know what? I'm not just saying eat together. I'm saying when you eat, talk and and listen. As a matter of fact, if I were you as a parent, I would be very intentional to sit down and be ready to ask a question that everybody gets to answer and everybody needs to listen to. Questions like this. What are your goals and dreams? And you sit and listen. Or what are you most afraid of? And let them get it out. Uh, How about this? What makes you happy? Now, there's far more questions than that you can ask, but I would always have a question every single night and, and say, hey, as we go around the table, let's do that together and, and, watch, and watch and listen to what's being said. Get to know your kids. Get to know your kids and make sure you're not exasperating them and not frustrating them. I don't know if it's true, but I was in a seminar once where the the speaker said this. He said there was a young high school student whose parents were always on his case because all he cared about was cruising, you know, driving his car uh, in the town they were in and reading comic books. And one day his dad told him, if that's all you're into, you'll never amount to anything. And that young man was named George Lucas. First movie was what, American Graffiti? And second, Star Wars. You know what? The reality is this, is while we do need to be careful not to let our kids waste themselves, we also need to be careful we're not too harsh and that we're raising them accordingly. Uh, There are three main parenting styles, and one research has shown is by far the one that has the best results in caring and loving children in the biblical way, the way of shooting the arrow in the right direction. So one parenting style, which by the way, is not as effective, is called authoritarian. An authoritarian parents places high expectations on their children uh, with uh, little responsiveness to the child in the end. An authoritarian parent is more focused on obedience, discipline, and control rather than nurturing the child. 
An authoritarian parent has a high, high expectation for the child to excel, but usually to a degree that's not possible on the long haul. And they usually are parents with strict rules. And they give very little wiggle room with those rules. The results of authoritarian parenting are what? Are you ready? The studies have shown children who are raised in an authoritarian home have lower self-esteem, difficulty in social situations. They are more likely to exhibit violent behavior and are prone to be aggressive and angry. They can't accept failure and they're low in resilience. They have a high likelihood of anxiety and depression. So authoritarian parenting has shown through different studies not to be the best way to raise a child because why it's frustrating to the child. And the Lord says, don't frustrate your children. Uh, Another style of parenting that's not good either is called permissive parenting or passive parenting. And in that style, the parents tend to be very, very lax. They might be warm, but they tend to be lax and they fail to set firm limits to monitor their children's activities or to require appropriate mature behavior of their children. Uh, In other words, they tend to let their children get away with things they shouldn't. Like maybe they're licking a light socket, and a permissive parent would say, more power to you. But you know, (laughs) online they laughed at that one. All right. But this style doesn't aim the child. This style doesn't aim the child in the direction God wants them to go. The results of permissive parenting, by the way, are those children who are raised that way tend to be impulsive, rebellious, aimless, domineering, aggressive, low in self-resilience, and low in self-control, and they tend to lack achievement in their life. Uh, One time, a, a young guy who was a Christian invited a girl to go to a Bible study with him, and he and his friend went to go pick her up. And she came out of her house wearing an outfit that was, by the way, very seductive, very uh, uh, skimpy, I guess is the right word, almost no clothes. And her dad was in the front yard watering the lawn, and she runs by him and says, bye, dad. And she got in the car, and the guy was trying to decide, how do I talk to her? And finally, he looked at her and said, you can't wear that to Bible study. And she goes, oh, I've got to change the clothes. I just wanted to see if my dad cared enough to tell me not to wear this. I wonder how many times that's true. Well, I can tell you it's a lot. When I was a next-gen pastor, um, I would have something called a Coke talk. Uh, And a Coke talk meant you were in trouble, by the way. I mean, I would take you out one-on-one and I would talk to you about something not good in your life or something you were doing that was destructive either to yourself or others. And so what would happen is it got to be known that. It got to be known, oh, Chuck's having a Coke talk with so-and-so. And I tried not to tell, but I found out like almost always the whole youth ministry would know who I was having a Coke talk with. Do you know why? Because those kids would go and brag about it. Pastor Chuck cares enough to meet with me. Pastor Chuck cares enough to talk to me. I wasn't harsh, but I was clear. But they wanted someone to call them on it. And then here's what else started happening. You ready? Then it got to the point, kids would come to me going, we need to have a Coke talk. (laughs) And they would confess. Do you know what? Kids need limits. They need the proper form of discipline. They need to be reined in. 
Most of you know this. Their brains are not fully developed till they're 27 or 28. So who's supposed to care for them? Well, God says a parent is. By the way, the church ought to partner there. And so we need to be a part of that. So permissive parenting is not a good style. But the best style is called authoritative. That's the best style of parenting. Where in authoritative parenting, what do you do? Uh, The parents are nurturing, responsive, supportive, and they set firm limits for their children. They attempt to control their children's behavior by explaining the rules, discussing and reasoning They listen to a child's viewpoint, but don't always accept it. And the results of authoritative parenting is the children who are raised that way tend to be very friendly, energetic, cheerful, self-reliant, self-controlled, curious, cooperative, and achievement-oriented. Authoritative parents tend to uh, uh, highly give their children a sense of security and self. Matter of fact, we found the children who have the best self-identity The best identity of who they are are raised in a home like that with a true sense of security. In an authoritative style of parenting, you're intent on aiming your children to be who God made them to be and to do the things and to do the things that God wants them to do. Uh, I wish there's a lot of things I could have done differently in parenting, but let me tell you one I'm glad we did. We gave our children the right of appeal. Uh, I don't know why, maybe it's just in my personality. My first answer tends to be no. Kids came and asked something, nope. Any, anybody else like that? You don't even know why, but it just feels good to tell your kids no. <laughs> so what we did, because I could tend to be that way, is uh, Pam and I made an agreement. If the kids didn't agree with what I said, they could go to her. You know, some people are like, nope, don't do that. Don't go. No, we said, you guys go to mom, who tends to be far more reasonable. And you discuss with her what I said. And then if Pam agreed with them, she would say, you need to listen, Chuck. She'd prepare me. You need to listen. And my kids could sit with me and they could make their appeal. By the way, let me tell you why that's smart. Because later on in life, they were going to be trained to do that with other people. And, by, and the other thing is this, I, I can be wrong a lot. Anybody else can be wrong a lot? So what if your kids had the right of appeal? What if they had the right to say to you, I think you're wrong? And what if they won sometimes? Not every time. But I think what you'd do is raise a child who's far more secure. By the way, we here would love to partner with you guys in lots of different ways if you're a parent. We have great ministries, a children's ministry, JHM, HSM, and, and, and our SIA ministry. Uh, let me tell you this if you didn't know it. All of our pastors actually believe in you as parents. So when the kids come and tell us how bad you are, we don't believe them right away. We tend to be very supportive of you. And, and very supportive of your values and ideals. And so what a great place to come to do that. Another place is our school. Uh, uh, if you have a child and, and you are thinking about Christian school, I think our school is phenomenal. And you can schedule a tour to be a part of that and discover more about our school. Which, by the way, we practice a style of learning where the kids learn that right of appeal. They learn how to make their case. Uh, we, I think we're probably the only school that not only teaches academics and definitely from uh, a Christian perspective and it's a Christian school. Do you know what else we teach? Emotional intelligence. That's a part of what we teach. Um, yeah, isn't that cool? 
And if you didn't know this, EQ, emotional intelligence, always trumps IQ. Everywhere you go. And so we try to do that with the kids. The greatest commandment God gave to us is in Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. Uh, the word here is the word Shema. And the word here, Shema, it means to hear and understand, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then it says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, and I want you to look at that word, diligently. Diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And then it talks about the whole idea. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's so interesting to me and worth not missing that the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God, is followed by teach that to your children over and over again. Show that to them. Teach that to them. Guide them in that. And make sure and have a plan to do that. He says, I want you to do that diligently. And in Proverbs 21 verse 5, it says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. In other words, God wants you and I to live our life according to a plan, according to a diligent plan we stick to. And that includes parenting. That includes parenting. So interestingly, God gave tools to the, the parents in the land of Israel. Now, what happened is this. God created certain feasts that were to be celebrated every single year. Uh, and God wanted those feasts to be the most important thing you look to. They were holidays. They were celebration times. But they were geared around knowing him and loving him. So one of those feasts was called Passover. Uh, Passover is where they would remember what Moses did in going to Egypt and, and enacting the 10 plagues and bringing the Egyptians to their knees and causing the freedom in the land of Israel. But especially on that one night when the angel of death would pass over anybody who was under the blood of the lamb. So you would gather together and celebrate that feast with an opening Passover meal that would go on actually for days. And here's what's so interesting about Passover, if you didn't know, is that it, it was very, very tuned into children. So the youngest child was to come in and say these words as they began the Passover meal. Father, why is this night different from all others? Now you catch what I'm going, where, where God's going. This is a God-given thing that the, they, you would actually focus on your children being a part of the meal, not being distant from the meal. By the way, the whole idea is a child is to be seen, not heard. That's the opposite of Passover. It was the child was to be actively a part of it, which if you're a child, you would love that. And in Passover, they also, they would take some of the matzah and you were to take it and hide it somewhere in the house. And then the children were sent out to go find it. And when they found it, they were to come back and get a prize. Are you catching where God is in this? God wants you to have fun with your kids. God wants, see, if you're not a parent who's having fun, you're not doing it according to a God-given way. And so by, in, in very conservative and Hasidic Jewish homes, that was the one time of the year children could sip wine. I didn't say drink. But if you're a child, what do you, come on. Wouldn't you go, man, that is cool. We get to sip wine tonight, even if you hated it, which most kids do. 
But the idea was to create this special moment for them with the parents celebrating God and teaching about God and telling stories of God. And it was to be fun. Another feast that they would do was called the Feast of the Booths. That's where you camp out for seven days. Yeah, they actually would set up what we would call tents and the family would go out there with family and friends and you would have the best food imaginable and you would tell the stories from the 40 year wandering and the exodus and, and, and hold the kids excitement and joy as you did that with them. There would be singing at night. They would have fire that, that they would have big torches and they would have big parades and they would talk about how a Messiah was coming one day and the Messiah was the light to the nations. He would be a light to the Gentiles. Gentiles. And so they would tell the kids, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And, and the other thing they would do is have a special time of singing and a special time of a pouring of water to talk about a day that the Holy Spirit would come and be poured out. And all of that was to ca- capture the imagination of the kids and to get them excited about what was going on. And so what I want you to think about is this, what child wouldn't look forward to camping with his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts? But when we were, you were, anybody when you were a kid, you, man, even a backyard camp out was fun. Anybody else? Yeah. And the point I want you to get is that God wants you to be intentional about having fun. When my uh, boys were little, I was the one to put them to bed almost every time and it was fun. Matter of fact, I tried to make that more fun than anything else in their day. And then when I got them up in the morning to take them to school, which I almost always did, I had a goal that they would laugh before they got to school. Uh, Somehow I was going to make them laugh. They were going to start their day laughing. I'll never forget one day I got them up and got them in the car and got them laughing and we're driving. And my oldest son, Rich, said, Dad, you missed our turn. And I said, no, I didn't. And I took them to Pasadena because the Super Bowl was going to be at the Rose Bowl. And they had the Super Bowl experience. And I said, guys, forget school. We're going to have fun. Yeah, yeah. I will never regret that time or any of the other times that we did together. I wanted them to know that life with us is fun, but even more that God, who is the Abba Father, is a God of fun. He's a God of fun. And he wants to be your dad. By the way, in John chapter 1, it says this, but to all who believed in him and Jesus and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Notice that. This idea of the Messiah coming was so you and I could have God as our father and we could have the right to be his children. The right to be his children. And it says they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We're born again. But I don't want you to miss that whole idea. God's plan is to be your father, but even more, the Bible says your Abba father. The word Abba actually means dad or daddy or papa. And do you know what? God could love you more than he does. And God is an authoritative parent, not an authoritarian parent or a permissive one. So he does guide us. He does direct us. And he wants us to do that for our kids. But he wants all of us to be in a relationship with him where that's what we turn and pass on. So let me ask you a question today that is the most important question I'm going to ask. Is he your Abba Father? Is he your Papa? Do you know him that way? Do you know his love? Do you know his voice? Do you know his direction and guidance? 
And if you don't, let me tell you this, he wants you to. For everyone who would believe in him and accept him, believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, you now have the right and you now become a child of God by believing and accepting. How do you accept? You need to say it. You need to pray a prayer and tell him, I want to give my life to you. And right now, if you're not in a relationship with the Lord that's real, then he wants you to. But it's your choice. It's your choice. So whether you're here or online or on the patio, the Lord would love for you to do this. And let me pray for you right now. Our Abba Father, the best Father there is, you love us with an everlasting love. You care for us in a very real way. And Lord, you want us to know you and your love. You want us to have you be the one who grants our heart's desires. So I pray right now for any man or any woman or any guy or any girl who needs to give their life to you, that Lord, you would stir inside them. You'd speak to them. And that still small voice, Lord, that prompting. I'm going to lead a prayer that if anybody wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have God as your Father, that I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So here's my question. Do you want to pray it? Do you want to believe in him and accept him? And I want to tell you this. He couldn't love you more than he does. You've never done anything where he wouldn't love you. And he wants you. He wants you. Do you want him? If so, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. So please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. Please heal me from hurt and from pain. Please free me from anything or anyone that would hold me down or hold me back. And I pray you'll make me yours. And I pray you'll make me your child. And I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. And if you pray that prayer and you're online, I want you to text AMEN to 77247. If you pray the prayer and you're online, text AMEN to 77247. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now.
Thanks again for watching, and we'll see you next time.